So people I haven't met, it's really nice to be here. I've, I've kind of looking a bit suity this morning, aren't I? Which I quite like because I bought this a few months ago and I was bought it to wear for something and then I had to wear something else. So it never got worn. And, and today I thought, you know what? I'm racking out the suit. Coming up to Calamunda, looking nice and fancy. Pretty good, isn't it, though? And so, thank you, thank you. Keep it going. And uh, you can say, anyone else want to say a few words? <laughs> Feel free. Um, um, look, I'm a, a mum, mum of three sons. Golly, can't believe I've managed that. And they're now 31, nearly 25 and 22. That seems crazy. In fact, I'm a grandma. Grandma to two grandkids. I've got Daisy, who's just over one, and Oscar, who's three. So, like, what an absolute joy. It's like one of the greatest things you get to do in life is to be, you know, mums. And I'm mum to lots of people in a way, you know, because all of my friends, my son's friends, they kind of became part of our home as well. That's what happens, you know, that they just expand. You know how many kids you have. And I, I turn up at actually at the little church I go to now and two, my middle son, two of his friends come there. And so I kind of end up thinking I'm kind of mothering them still as well. And, and when my, where have, I've got two sons who still live at home, the two younger ones still live at home. And, but you know what? I, I can tell you this is not a perfect gig. I make it sound so idyllic sometimes. You talk about your kids, but like they can be so annoying. <laughs> they are. They're actually really naughty. And they're still like, at 25 and 20, I probably wouldn't call them naughty because they're probably a lot worse than that. But they can be shocking. So sometimes they can be very cheeky. And as they get older, they think, foolish them, that they're equal with me. <laughs> and that they're equal in our house. And like, that is not the case. There's no equal going on in here. But the 22 or the 25-year-old, uh, this is about, oh, it's only about six weeks ago, actually. This, the, uh, they came home and they'd been somewhere and I was in the lounge room. And as they walked through, they kind of grunted at me. You know, you say hello and they don't say hello back. So I'm like, you know, hello. Oh, you know. And they kind of start walking up the stairs. So I think the middle one kind of gave me something. You know, he kind of gave me a morsel. Hello. Um, the 22-year-old gave me nothing. I said, hold on a minute. So he, he wants to keep walking up the stairs and pretending that he doesn't heard this, hasn't heard this conversation. So I said, Zach, get back down here. I said, I reckon you can still say these things to your 22-year-old. Like, bad luck, it's my house. So I said, get back down here. He keeps walking. I said, you keep walking, you keep going, go into your room, pack your bags and get out. At which point he thought, I reckon she's serious. You know, she's got that sound in her voice. We're obviously at one of those points where she's, got a, she's at risk of going over the edge. And uh, he was right. And so she, he comes back down and then he's kind of given me the whole, yeah, hello, you know. I said, no, I want more enthusiasm. <laughs> now I want a bit more from you. I want a bit more like love as well. He's like, he's like you know, and I said, I will not, I went into the mother mode, I will not be spoken to like that in this house. This is my home. You'll do it the way I want. I want enthusiasm. I want love. Anyway, at this point, now look, I'm not you. I don't think I've ever done this one before, but I did do it this time. So then I stood up and I had a coffee mug in my hand. I checked it out, realised it was one of my older ones. And then I said, I smashed it on the floor. Yeah, I did. You can all look very pious, like you don't do these things. I don't, 
I'm not worried. I did. I smashed it. At which point, there's like he's looking terrified. The other one looks over the over the balcony, runs back. He gets. He realizes I'm staying out of this. She's she's really lost. I said, I did. I gave him like, this is my home. You'll do it my way in this house. At which point he's going, well, I think you're going a bit far because I didn't want to give you a bit of love right now. I was like, no, it's the principle. It's the principle, the way you'll be in my house anyway. And I said, and what's more, you're cleaning it up. (laughs) At which point he's looking at me like, I don't know how this happened. And I said, and I'm going to my room and you clean it up and you make the whole house clean before I come back down. (laughs) I went up, I lay in my bed. I had such a laugh. I lay... (laughs) I lay in bed. I said, God, what on earth, what just happened? You know, like, what just happened? I was going like, oh, yeah, be slow to anger. Yep, I think I just blew it all in that, in that five-minute little uh, performance. As I lay there, I just thought, you know, God, you're so lovely. Because even when I do completely mess it up, you know, maybe it was like a little bit... I, I tried to justify it. I did talk, about, did talk to myself about Jesus getting angry in the temple. I did. I gave myself a bit of encouragement. Well, Jesus got angry in the temple. I think I can get angry in my own home. And then I was like, uh, then I was kind of thinking, so what if I've messed it up? This is not about perfection. This is about loving, desperately loving those people in your life and letting them see exactly who you are. And sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it hopelessly wrong, but it's actually okay. You know, um, I think as people we need to remember that. Somehow we end up thinking it all rests on us. Even today, I come and speak and sometimes someone will say, oh, you know, is, is it, you know, was she good kind of thing, you know, or she, she had done. At the end of the day, it's not actually about me anyway. It's kind of very freeing, I can assure you, because unless God is present with you now and whispering to you these are just words you know but with God in them he takes the tiniest little bit that you're supposed to hear and he kind of makes that jump to life and that's the brilliance of resting in God you know it's not actually all about your biggest efforts you know I like to do things right does anyone else I mean I really do I I remember as a girl I was in Sunday school and they told the story of um of Solomon in the, and Solomon making the first great judgment that he made that, that men turned to him and said, gosh, he's so wise, you know. And do you remember the story? It's about when the two women had the one baby. And the, and the principle of the story is that these two women had each had a baby and in the night one of the women had fallen on the baby and the baby had died. And the, they, the, other, and the, other, and the woman who'd woke up and found her baby had died quickly changed her baby for the live baby. And when the woman woke in the morning and said, gosh, my baby's dead, she looked at the baby and realised it wasn't hers. So these two mothers brought this one live baby to Solomon and said, you decide whose baby it is. I don't know if this was a great story, by the way, for eight-year-olds, but anyway, <laughs> I look back at it now and think, oh, my gosh. But I was entranced. I was entranced. So it worked for me. So then they t- he tells a story of how he then decides and he says, well, what I'll do is I'll chop the baby in half and give half to each of you. He didn't do that, right? It's all safe. It's all very, very good. But at the end of it, um, when he then the woman who was her baby said, "No, no, no, get her to have the baby," and then Solomon says, "That's the mother, the one who was willing to sacrifice and give her child, lose her child. She's the one who was the mother." And everyone kind of heralded his wisdom. And I remember hearing that story, 
and be absolutely mesmerised. And, and the preceding explanation says that, you know, Solomon came to the throne um, and before he did, he was, he was at home, you know, essentially in his, obviously in a bit of his palace, his father was David. And in the night, you know, an angel comes to him and, and asks him what he wants. You know what he asks for? He asks for wisdom. And I was this girl sitting in a Sunday school class at eight years old. And when I heard that, I remember thinking, that's what I want. That's what I want. If I can have any gift, God, I pray that you let me be wise. And I went home that day from Sunday school and I had a little brother who was only about a year old and I went into a lounge room, which we had a separate lounge room, and I sat there for like the next hour and all I did, actually it was longer than that, all I did was pray over this little boy and, and he's now my brother who's 50 years old. But anyway, I prayed and I said to God, I pray, God, that you take care of him all the days of his life. I pray that you give me just wisdom to live a wonderful life. I think it's like that scripture actually says in, in Proverbs, about Proverbs 4, it says, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. It's this cry out, come on, if you want anything from God, don't ask for riches and don't ask for an easy life because it's not coming. Ask for the wisdom of God to live with it and live through it, isn't it? Because we all know that's actually what life is about. You know, wisdom's this amazing quality. It, it brings together knowledge with action. Here's the knowledge and here's how you live it. That's wisdom coming together. You know, knowledge in itself is quite empty. But when you bring it together with some action and, and faith, it becomes something. And that's when wisdom... Do you know that wisdom is presented in Scripture as a feminine quality? It's called lady wisdom. That's kind of nice, women, on Mother's Day, isn't it? It's not that it's exclusively for women, but it's got a women's quality. In fact, Proverbs um, 1 says this. It says, Lady Wisdom goes out into the streets and she shouts. At the town centre, she makes her speech. In the middle of the traffic, she takes her stand. At the busiest corner, she calls out. I love that. I love that. I love the fact it, it's actually got this, it's a, it's a Hebrew word called chokmoth. It says, says something like that, okay? I'm sure it's got some lovely guttural sound to it. So it's going chokmoth, anyway, something like that. And it's this, it's a feminine word. And I think it's absolutely beautiful because I think there's a sound, the thought in it is this softness, that wisdom has this softness to her. She's not judgment and justice. Wisdom is this kind of like bringing together the very, very best of us. You know, in the first nine chapters of Proverbs really talks about, listen to this, listen to the wise and be careful of the words of the foolish. And I think in our world that we live in today, we really need to take this on board. <laughs> There's a lot of voices speaking out there, guys. There's a lot of voices. You can listen to the voice of social media. You can listen to the voice of radio. You can listen to the voices of television anchors now who, who act like they've got the whole of the wisdom of God on their side. And the cry of the wisdom woman in Proverbs 1 is she goes out the street, she says, be careful what you're listening to. But, you know, I want to tell you something. One thing I've, I've learned, and probably more so over these last years, is there, there's a risk in pursuing wisdom. As your primary thing. There's actually a risk in it. It's a risk that the author of Proverbs discovered and he ultimately forewarned us of. Does anyone have an idea what it is? Pardon? 
more heavily judged. Yeah, yeah, you're more expected of you. I think that's true, but he's got an even stronger warning. And I, and I want to just talk about that for the rest of today. What's the warning that... Now, who wrote the book of Proverbs, people? Solomon. And Solomon... I always like a flip chart in case you haven't known that about me. And Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And he wrote books of the Songs of Solomon and the Songs of Ecclesiastes as well. And they're three books of kind of wisdom. And he was the second king of, of a united Israel. And actually, he was the last. Um, he came after his father David, unified, and then he, he came in. He was a king of enormous wealth. He completed the first temple of Jerusalem. He was very well known for his wisdom. Okay? And he seemed this incredibly prosperous man. In, in all ways, financially prosperous, you know, socially prosperous. Um, he, had, he had this wisdom calling. You'd think to yourself, what more on earth did he need in life? But I want to tell you, he was also the son of a, the partnership between David and Bathsheba, which is a really tragic thing. He, yeah, he came to the throne because in war against his brother, who felt he should have had the throne, and the reason he came is because Bathsheba went to David and said, you always promised me that my son would become king. I think, oh, that's not a great way to become king. One of his first acts as king was to marry the pagan daughter of the king of Egypt so he could bring together the empires. Doesn't sound too smart to me, Dave, uh, Solomon. And you know what? Wisdom did not stop him from self-indulgence in terms of his wealth, his sexual partners. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's exhausting. And ongoing compromise, where he had building altars to pagan gods. Please explain to me how the man who wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon, a man of great wisdom, was able to have that kind of, that kind of like wonder in his life on one hand and then on the background to have done things which were so unwise, so incredibly unwise. You know... Knowledge is this idea of data, right? And wisdom puts together knowledge plus action and behaviours, right? So you have to say to yourself, gosh, Solomon, you certainly didn't always get the wise bit right. And you know what? You're just like all of us. In fact, he says this. I want to read this thing he said. In Ecclesiastes, this is what Solomon then says. The man who, who convinced me to pursue wisdom above all else, he writes these words. I said to myself, I know more and am wiser than anyone before me in Jerusalem. I've stockpiled wisdom and knowledge. And what I finally concluded is that so-called wisdom and knowledge are mindless and witless. This is to encourage you. Nothing but spitting into the wind. Just ponder that. He says they're mindless and they're witless. Nothing but spitting into the wind. Seriously. Now, we don't want to read Ecclesiastes when we hear read those things. Does anyone know that? How many people know Proverbs? I mean, I just love the Proverbs. I love Proverbs like, one of my favourite ones is, um, what's really held me in good stead is that proverb, you know, a, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. 
You know, if you get offended or if your friend gets offended, it's like they're impenetrable. There are more unyielding. You know what? Never let yourself be offended. Resist offence. It's offered to you. It's offered to me every day. I can sit here, honestly, and sometimes I can imagine that people are looking at you as if to say, oh, I don't agree with that. And you could so easily take on offence. But it's actually offered to you. That's why we say, you know, people take offence. It's offered. Here, do you want that? And we most often go, yeah, yeah, I'd love that. Oh, yeah, I'd really love that. And then someone, you know, I've just been so offended. I'm so... You have a choice. And I, and I can't say it strongly enough. It's not about the other person. It's really about you. You will destroy yourself if you take offence. It, 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 it makes... They're almost irrelevant in the equation. Guard your heart for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. I love another scripture, which another proverb, which says, um, the, first, uh, the first man sounds so right until the second man speaks. That's been a great one for me. Because when someone comes to tell me something, it sounds so right. I feel so outraged. Because they tell me something about someone else. How dare they? How dare they say that to you? I'm going to do something about that. Then the second person says, oh, it wasn't quite the story. And then you think, I'm an idiot. I mean, aren't these just fantastic little ways to live life? You know, the world of the generous gets larger and larger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Have I not seen that to become a truth? Generous people's lives keep growing and stingy people end up alone. And stinginess and generosity is not about money. It's not about money. It's about thinking. It's the way you look at someone else. You have a generous attitude. Are you forgiving? Or are you judgmental? because your life's going to contract and become so tiny that you'll, have, you'll only need to live in your toilet because that's the only space you'll need. <laughs> I, just, I just thought of that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but, you know, there's this reminder to me, why? Why did the troubles of Solomon, why did they happen? You know, they happen. They happen because we are such imperfect people. (laughs) Human nature is this great leveller. You know, I say it's the fragility of people. Wisdom that even the wisest man in the world couldn't keep himself on track. I think we should all get a little bit nervous when we hear that. The wisest man in the world couldn't keep himself on track. The man who says, I was full of wisdom and I was full of knowledge, couldn't keep himself on track. I think about uh, me, how many times do I know the thing to do and I just don't do it? Is anyone else in this boat? Please, please raise your hand and please have a good look at yourself (laughs) because that's what we're like. I was one time a woman came to see me um, and this was back when I was at Riverview and she'd made an appointment to see me. Um, I think I'd spoken on the topic of offence actually and forgiveness and she came to see me and I didn't know what it was about. And when she, she said, look, I'm coming to see you because of I can't forgive my husband, or my ex-husband. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, you know, you talked about forgiveness but you don't know my story. I said, I don't. You know, so she, wanted, she told me this story about his husband and you know what? It had been pretty, pretty bad. And um, the first thing I was saying to her is, look, look, 
you know what, forgiveness is actually not about me speculating on the other party. It's actually the act of the, the person to let go for, for your own sake. And, and then she said to me, and I can't. And I said, she says, one day I will, but I just can't right now. And I said, okay. So, you know, what, what are you thinking? How are you going to get yourself there? And she said, I said, when did it happen? When did all this stuff happen? And then she looked at me and she said, 25 years ago. 25 years ago. And I can tell you the pain in her heart and on her face was just as strong, I reckon, as years when it happened. And I just said to her, is that how you want to live? Because you get to choose. But I tell you, if you hold on to this, you'll be here in 25 more years, if you're still alive. And that's coloured your whole life. It's always going to leave a mark. But I think that's a picture of most of us. We want to be more loving. We want to be more honest. We want to be more controlled. But there's this splinter in our psyche, and I can tell you what it's called. It's called self. Because we also want to feel good. We also want to look good. We want to be shown to be right. I do like to be right. Does anyone else like to be right? No, not, not a shocking thing. But let me just say, we always want to be right. And we see ourselves as the hero in the story. Like we make the good things happen. And I think Solomon became very happy with himself. I think he became very happy with himself until he became an older man. And he saw what actually the decisions of life end up doing to you. You see, I can tell you this other thing that he said at the end of, I told you the one where he said wisdom and knowledge are just spitting into the wind. They're mindless and witless. But this is what he said at the, towards the end of Ecclesiastes. He says this. Verses eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 9, he says, But when I determined to load up on wisdom and examine everything taking place on earth, I realised that if you keep your eyes open day and night without even blinking, you'll never figure out the meaning of what God is doing on the earth. Right? Search as hard as you like. You're not going to make sense of it. No matter how smart you are, you won't get to the bottom of it. Well, I took all this in and I thought it through inside and out and here's what I understood. The good, the wise and all they do are in God's hands. I think that is profound. He says, load up on wisdom. It's not, it's not like... There is nothing wrong with being wise. There is no, nothing wrong with thinking things through. There is nothing wrong with planning. There is nothing wrong. In fact, it is absolutely wonderful to practice the wisdom of God in our lives. But here's what I understand too. The good, the wise and all they do are in God's hands. I think what he actually was trying to say... I just spelled that wrong, sorry. The learning that he had ultimately was that it's God who winds his way through all of this. If ever we try to separate knowledge from the source, if we try to separate wisdom from the source, if we try to separate learning from the source and think they're just godly principles, then we've completely missed out on what it is. Because here he is, winding his way through. Making things right 
when they're supposed to be so wrong. When everything tells you you're going to be destroyed, you can't make it through this one. Here he comes, riding in on his white horse and saying, I was always sent to be your saviour. You're not your own saviour. You're not the wisest woman in the world. You're not the wisest man in the world. You're a person having a great go. But he is the source. Is that not an incredible reassurance? Do you know what? It's not on you. It's on him to make things right. It's on you to practice his ways. It's on you to fall in love with him every day. It's not on you to become like him. It's you want to love him so that you then become like him. You cannot make the efforts to be like God. You will never. But you know, he changes us. Like the whole concept of the fruit. You're not, you can't make yourself grow fruit. It says you graft into the vine and then you produce grapes. Like he is the source. I think it's so wonderful. You know, how did it, what did it take for Solomon to see this? What did it take? I reckon, you know, one thing it took was that him to see past his own cleverness and wisdom and to realise, my golly, golly, hardship. Life lost its luster for Solomon. The richest man in the world started to look about him and realise it's all empty. It's all meaningless. I've built my house on wisdom. I should have built my house on the foundation stone. <laughs> like wisdom is, she, you know, she's a beauty. I love her. We can use her structure to put things up, but she's not the foundation. The foundation is God himself. If we always go back to, I know this is your wisdom, God, but you know what? Only works because you're in it. And you know what, God, when it looks like it's not working, you're still in it. You're still bringing it about for me. I think the life experience of, of him, the life experience of um, Solomon showed him. And, I, and I'm going to take a little bit of poetic license here, but I think this makes sense, okay? Because I think sometimes age is an absolute wonderful teacher. Does anyone else think that? I don't mind being older. I actually don't. So I turned 60 last year. I'm like, how did those years go, right? But at the same time, I love it. Because there's all this stuff that you've got to handle in life that I can handle better now. Because somehow, and I think the same thing happened to Solomon. You know, Solomon, the first book Solomon wrote, what do you think it was? He wrote three books. Which book do you think he wrote first? Songs of Solomon. It's a, it's a book about love and joy and isn't life just absolutely wonderful? Woohoo! He was a young man. It's all right, Solomon. There's some of that which is totally beautiful and lovely. And then what book did he write next? Mm -mm. He wrote the book of Proverbs. Based on knowledge and information. What do you think he wrote last? He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. I think there was a learning that happened in his life. It doesn't minimise Songs of Solomon and maximise Ecclesiastes. It just says there actually is a rhythm in life. And you can't avoid it. But what you can know is God's running through it. He's running through it. 
You know, I think sometimes see Ecclesiastes, people see it as a pessimistic book. It's not. You've got to think through each word. I mean, some things you'll go, mm, well, I, I don't want to live like that. That's okay. God's not this prescriptive God. He's just describing the ways, the principles of God. You know, wisdom alone cannot save you. Seeking all the knowledge that you want in life will not save you. There's a rhythm to life. There's a necessity of facing difficulties and even despair. So here I am saying to you, instead of pursue wisdom, I just say pursue God first and foremost and then ask that his wisdom be revealed to you and then you live it out with all the might and gusto you've got. You know, there's a, it's a humbling experience to live life and discover that no matter how hard you try and your very best efforts, and like you do it, you know, I, I do a pretty good job. I do my best. And I listen to God and I learn and I read and I try my hardest, you know, and things still go wrong for me. And I've been disappointed with God sometimes. I said, you know what, everything I've done for you, <laughs> everything I've done for you, where are you? And working this one out right now. Has anyone else felt like that? I think we all laugh because we've always felt it. Where the heck are you? But I've learnt that life is not linear. It doesn't all happen in a linear fashion. But it does work out because he's in it. I've just got to hold on. I've got to hold on through the difficult times and trust. Trust with every bit of me. That he is with me. He is weaving his way through every bit of my story and he has got me. You know, um, when I was a girl, I, um, I, I love sport. And I, uh, I learnt this lesson fairly early in some respects, you know. I was only about, I was about 20, 20, I think. And I loved, I was playing softball. I was in the state team. But I really wanted to make it into the first team, you know. So I used to go out every day put out the diamond, the baseball, soft, softball diamond, and I would run that diamond because I knew I had to get faster. And I'd have my little friend over there, stopwatch. I mean, I was, I was a disciplined freak. I mean, it was ridiculous. I would run this diamond. I would practice every day, right, coming up. And I was like, I'm getting the right angles as you run. I'm running it for doubles and triples and singles. And I'm thinking, no problems, I've got this. Well, of course, I didn't get in to the first team. And my sister three years younger, who doesn't train a day in her life, rocks on up there and is like number one. I was like, how can, and I gave, I was, I was so annoyed at her. I said, how ridiculous is it? They chose you. <laughs> she was like, well, I was better than you. I was like, yes, you were, but we're not discussing that bit. We're just discussing, I was the best trier. You know, it was just that learning, you know, the, it was a beautiful thing to learn that other people are better than you at things. You can give all of your efforts, but they're just better than you. And there is actually nothing wrong with that. I feel so incredibly proud of her. How good she was. Like she, she made the Australian team. She just, that was one of her things. All my best efforts couldn't bring about the result I wanted. But God was in me and he was through me and he was weaving his story. You know, I meet, I go to workplaces. I've been at workplaces with people with really lacking integrity, 
really lacking integrity seem to be winning. Has anyone else seen that? And I'm like, what's with that, God? Smite them. (laughs) I don't really say that, but, you know, I think that. Uh, No. But I'm like, what is that, God? And I think the hold your tongue. It's not your business. I'm weaving my story. You act with your wisdom and your integrity. You keep that intact. But you know who ultimately make things happen, Kelly? I do. I meet parents who have adored their children, love them, disciplined them, given them every opportunity and things still don't work out. And sometimes in church we say, oh, but, you know, if you train a child the way else you go, you'll not depart. It's a principle of God. But I promise you, things happen and people get to make their own choices. You cannot take responsibility at the end of that because at some point children take their own responsibility. And I think that's the way it's supposed to be. But God says, but you trust me. You hold on to me. You know, there's other things at play aside from your behaviour and your wisdom. I'm the biggest optimist I know. This is in no ways my downer. I am so optimistic. I just think anything can happen anytime. I love it. But it's a humbling experience to recognise that I haven't got control over every outcome in life just by doing things right. (laughs) I can increase the chances. I'm pretty wrapped about that. I hold on to my personal integrity and I can grow in the ways of God, but ultimately, you know, it's in God's hands. So uh, I think to myself here, as I just finish up, what what was the forewarning that Solomon was giving us in the book of Ecclesiastes? What was he saying? He certainly wasn't saying wisdom is unimportant, was he? You know what he was saying? I think. I think he was saying, be warned about self-sufficiency. Be warned, thinking you can make everything happen. It's clearly good to pursue wisdom and live by godly principles, but I think Solomon was reminding himself and us in the book of Ecclesiastes that God's wisdom is seen imperfectly in the hands of imperfect people in an imperfect world. And our only response is to return to the source over and over again. To never allow wisdom to elevate herself above God. But to place God himself at the centre of our worlds that we might remain on course. And I can say this, I say it's not with a straight line. Not get out of the way, rigid posture. I'm coming through. God is with me. Whether with a heads up, looking forward, leaning. That never allows us to overestimate ourselves. I love this. A leaning into and onto God. Lean into him. Lean on to him, which enables us to recover from the greatest tragedies and the greatest mistakes and to press on with the greatest expectations and hopes for tomorrow because he lives I can face tomorrow. You know, this kind of humility and God dependence, he doesn't make us any less, guys. It reminds us of how much we have and how much we can be because he is with us. Every one of your frailties, every one of your mistakes, these wonderful opportunities for you to see God act. And I have needed it desperately.
I trust other people in this room feel the same. And he is with us. Amen.